no, no, hang on. This is not a good right, spot. Yes, Ready? Welcome to the bite-sized edition of the Editor Roundtable podcast. Here on the Roundtable, we're dedicated to helping you become a better writer following the story grid method developed by Sean Coyne. In these episodes, we bring you some shorter solo articles on topics that interest us as writers. Hi, this is Anne Hawley, and today I'm bringing you a short examination of Objects of Desire. I delivered this talk at StoryGrid Live in Nashville in September 2019. StoryGrid Live is shaping up to be an annual event, a gathering of writers and editors interested in the StoryGrid method. And if you were there, hello again. Our recording efforts failed, and this is my attempt to make my talk available. If you weren't there, we hope to see you next year. It's a great event. Either way, join me for a short bite of writing insight starting right now. Sean Coyne has formulated six questions that we have to be able to answer about our own story in order to determine that the story works. We refer to them as the editor's six core questions, and they go like this. Number one, what is the genre? Number two, what are the conventions and obligatory scenes for the genre? Number three, what is your point of view narrative device? Number four, what are the objects of desire? Number five, what is your controlling idea or theme? And number six, what are the story's beginning hook, middle build, and ending payoff? Today, I'm examining question number four, what are the objects of desire? So first, let's define the term. What do we mean by objects of desire? Simply your character's wants and needs. The question applies primarily to your protagonist, but also to your antagonist and to a lesser extent to some of your secondary characters. The want is the character's conscious external desire. It's what the call to adventure or the global inciting incident offers them. It's what they think they're going on the journey to get. The character's want is dictated by the external genre of your story. So your protagonist wants to defeat the villain in an action story, solve the crime in a crime story, win love in a love story, gain honor in a war story, win the big game in a performance story, and so forth. Now, the need is what the character really needs in order to complete the journey that they set out on, regardless of what they thought they wanted. The need is unconscious to start with, and it's usually dictated by the character's internal genre. So therefore, the character needs will tend to cluster around gaining wisdom or knowledge, which would be a worldview internal genre, redefining success, which would be a status internal story, or making sacrifices, which would indicate a morality internal arc. The need impinges on the character's consciousness gradually till the global crisis. And at the global crisis, which is towards the end of your middle build, the character can no longer ignore the need and must face the fact that they can't get what they want until they accept the change that they really needed all along. Then, and only then, can they defeat the villain, solve the crime, win love, gain honor, or win the big game, and so forth, depending on your external genre. Now, you may notice there's a kind of story grid algebra here. 
If you know the answer to one of the editor's six core questions, you should be able to solve for most of the others. Genres at the top of the list and everything flows down from that. But if you're not sure of your genre, one way to detect it is to interrogate your protagonist about what they want, why they set out on the journey, what disrupted their life and lit up a new desire. The action protagonist, as I've been saying, wants to save the victim and defeat the villain. The crime protagonist wants to solve the crime. The love protagonist wants to win the love of the other character. The performance protagonist wants to win the game, be the best, get the blue ribbon, etc. If your character wants to bring a criminal to justice, then you are writing a crime story. If your character wants to win romantic love, then you're not writing a crime story, at least not primarily. And looking at it from the other side, if you are writing a crime story, then your character had better be motivated by wanting to solve the crime. If you're writing a love story, your character had better be primarily motivated by the desire to find a romantic relationship. Now, in real life, people want lots of things at the same time. It's tempting to make our characters well-rounded by giving them a variety of desires. In real life, one challenge overlaps another, and new stories begin before the old one ends and so forth. We often don't even resolve a lot of our own stories. But stories aren't real life, and characters aren't real people. I say that a lot because it continues to be a revelation to me. Stories are not real life and characters are not real people. It's our job as writers to streamline these people, who are characters, and their complicated desires and their multiple storylines down to one story with one want and one need. When the protagonist finally gets what they want, after accepting what they really needed all along, that's the end of the story. Does this mean that in every single scene your character must be taking action to secure what they want? Well, kind of. When they face choices, which they should be doing in every scene, the small choices they make should reflect what they want. Here's a really simple example. In a love story, the protagonist might face a choice of what to wear for the first date. He wants to look nice. That's the immediate in-scene desire, because maybe looking nice will help attract the affection or love that is the overarching global desire. Little choices reflect the larger desire. If you have a scene where your character struggles with a choice that isn't directly traceable to the global want or need, it's probably a scene you should cut. Now I'd like to tell you a personal story. Here's the ordinary life opening. I'm a person who's lived in other countries. I've traveled quite a bit, and I think of myself as a worldly, cosmopolitan, sophisticated person. For the past several years, I've been gradually slowed down by arthritis. I've constricted my life more and more to accommodate it. I've shrunk my orbit and limited my activity to avoid pain so that I can continue to believe that not much has changed. Now, here comes the inciting incident. I had an opportunity to travel to Europe. It was a week-long writing retreat at a farmhouse in the French countryside. Sure, I thought, I can do that. I've been to France lots of times. I speak French. So I booked my tickets with a stop in London at either end to visit France. 
The first complication is an obstacle. I get to my home airport, PDX in Portland, and I find that the walk from the front of the airport out the concourse to my gate was more than I could manage without significant pain. So I boarded my flight in pain and spent an uncomfortable and painful nine hours flying and then damaged my joints further by walking through Heathrow, which is an enormous airport, many times larger than my little local airport. Here's the second complication. It's another obstacle. The friend I was visiting in London didn't really understand what I meant when I said I can't walk very far, only a couple of blocks, because, of course, in London, the concept of blocks is meaningless. And I was too proud to back down. So we walked more than I should have, caused myself a lot more pain, and spent a couple of miserable nights in a hotel. But I carried on. I flew to France, and I rested for a week in the country. Now, here's the third complication. It's an opportunity. It was the writing retreat. It was warm. It was sunny. It was relaxed. I never had to walk more than a few yards. I stayed in the same house the whole time. I felt pretty good, kind of how I've been managing my life for the past several years. Could continue to deceive myself. Now, the turning point progressive complication. Once back in the UK to get my flight home, I had to get across London by myself. I dragged myself and my suitcase up a flight of stairs at Charing Cross, and as I did this, another woman, older than me, offered to help. I shook my head. I said, no, 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 thank you. I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you. She just looked at me, picked up the back end of my suitcase, and helped me get to the street level. By the time I got to my hotel room, I was immobilized by pain. I wasted two days in London, England, just lying there downing painkillers. No day trip to Winchester Cathedral, no ride on the London Eye, no visit to Big Ben, nothing. I might as well have been at home. Here's the crisis. But I still had to get home. I had a 12-hour, three-airport flight ahead of me. I thought maybe I should ask for assistance at the airport, but part of me said, nah, that would be admitting I'm disabled, and I'm not. I'm a cosmopolitan world traveler, damn it. Just tough it out. So I could either cripple myself further by dragging my screaming body through three more airports because I have my pride, or I could ask for help. Here's the climax. Reader, I asked for assistance. And the resolution is I got home in one piece, and now I'm one of those people you see at airports who get rides in a wheelchair or in the beep-beep cart out to the gate. The end. What did I want up to the turning point? Independence? Freedom? Clinging to a self-image that's no longer realistic for me? And external validation of that self-image? What did I finally realize that I needed? Help assistance, support, and humility. So what genre might you derive from this story? It's about esteem and image. It's about pride and shame. And that should direct your thoughts to those genres in the middle of the chart, the ones that are transitional between external and internal. These are the ones where the protagonist is not concerned with bare survival, not with life and death, and not with their safety particularly, and not especially with love or belonging, but with reputation, third-party validation, external and internal esteem. So it's probably a status story. I was there, and I can assure you it was a status story. Whether pathetic, tragic, or sentimental, I leave it to you to decide. 
Your characters want what they want until the global turning point complication towards the end of the middle build, where something blocks the road to getting it, and they have to acknowledge a need they'd rather ignore in order to win through to the end of the journey and go home with the prize. Or they let that final complication stop them, they fail in their quest, and they become a cautionary tale to the reader. It's critically important to understand your protagonist's objects of desire and your antagonist's objects of desire. And as a matter of best practice, you should also have a general notion of what your main secondary characters want and need. As a final word, objects of desire, like most of the editor's six core questions, is an editing tool more than a drafting tool, I think for most writers. You may never need to think about it unless you have a scene that doesn't work or doesn't belong. Then ask yourself if your character is aiming for a desire that has nothing to do with the wants and needs that are driving the rest of the story. If so, that scene is probably not part of the story and probably needs to be cut. When readers say they didn't relate to a character or found it hard to believe that this character would do that at that point in the story, what they're fundamentally telling you is that the objects of desire were not clear or consistent. Making sure that your characters are always driving towards what they want until they have to face what they really need is the key to compelling characterization and a solid story. If you have trouble figuring out the objects of desire that apply to your story or any of the other editor's six core questions, you can schedule a free half-hour consultation with me by going to annhawley.net slash editing. That's A-N-N-E-H-A-W-L-E-Y dot net slash editing. And I would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.